welcome to Living Word Bible Church, a lovely place for families where we have a passion to sing great songs to Jesus and where sound Bible teaching is central in home groups and in preaching at Sunday services. Living Word Bible Church, teaching the Bible verse by verse. Um, welcome to everybody who is uh, attending live stream or who is watching the service today um, after the event by YouTube or listening on the app through SoundCloud. Um, today's reading comes from Matthew 5, verses 1 through 16. Introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to preach, to, to teach them the Beatitudes. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Salt and light, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, although we're doing Philippians... And we're in chapter 4. Uh, that just gives a bit of background to our message this morning. I just really need to see what time it is. Someone tell me what time is it, please. 10? 10? 10.40, thank you. That'll do. 10.40. That means... There we go. I finished at 10.40. 10.40, it just gives me some idea. Okay, look. And let me talk, I want to talk about... Well, I want to introduce the, as a topic... The holiness of God. The holiness of God. When we think about God's holiness, how would you describe it? Anyone, anyone, anyone want to have a go? Any words of description? It's a tough one. Yeah, he's righteous. He's above. Yeah, and that's one of the. Were you going to say something back there? No. One of the key ones, you know, when we think about God's holiness is the fact that he's transcendent. 
He's set apart. And, and that's certainly one of the elements, and one of the key ones, actually, Pam. But there's, there's, I think there's more. Look, Isaiah 53, for example, says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of the glory of God. It does speak about the fact that God is set apart. He is righteously set apart. But I think it's probably even more. Holiness, holiness is almost a description of God himself. Do you think I can go a bit louder, please? Just for my own... Not, maybe, thank you. I just like to hear my own voice, you see. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, that, uh, it means I don't have to strain so much. Thank you. Yeah, holiness is a description of God himself. But it's one of those attributes. The attributes I've said to you before is a posh name for character or traits. So uh, holiness is one of those traits that theologians say is communicable. We can figure out what that means, can't we? It can be transferred. God can, can encourage us to be holy. It's communicable. I mean, it stands opposed to his incommunicable attributes. Well, I guess, what would you say is an incommunicable attribute? So communi com communicable, he can pass it on to us, ask it of us incommunicable it's something that can't be transferred to us what would you say i mean as a theology student uh, pardon yeah that's the very one i had in my notes as well katie great minds you see yeah i don't know which one's got the great mind though okay uh, yeah it is uh, it's uh, it's one of the key ones is his omniscience god can be everywhere and everything and god never says of you you know, praise the Lord. He never says of you, Brenton, be everywhere at every moment. Okay? I mean, that sounds like a nice thought, doesn't it? <laughs> but, but he never asked that of you. Okay? But he does say of you, and we're looking at that today, be holy as I am holy. And so it's God's, one of, one of God's communicable uh, attributes. He expects it of us. And in Philippians 4 here, we see something of that detail. Our subject is how to be happy or how to have a fulfilled Christian life. It's much better terminology than happiness. Our heading is this. The peace of God, the peace of God is found in doing holy things as exemplified by the apostles and church community. So where are we going? There's a lot there because quite a bit I'm going to try and get in here. The peace of God is found in doing holy things as exemplified by the apostles and church community. You can do me a big favour, Graham. When it's ten past, you could give me a five-minute warning in all seriousness because I haven't got my watch on me today. Thank you. Okay, verse 9. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, says Paul, or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. So, so we, we did one verse last time. Graham says he liked that. He likes one verse preaching. So there you go. You got it again, mate. Okay? Double whammy. We're just going to do verse 9. Think about holiness. It is one of God's communicable uh, attributes, but it's one of those attributes that comes in different forms. There's at least three forms of holiness in the Bible. The first one is, and you may be able to work out the others, the first one is what we call positional or declarative holiness. Have a guess. You know what that is. 
positional or declarative holiness, declared holiness. What is that? When does it happen? It's, it's when we are made absolutely, spotlessly perfect before God. Okay, in God's sight. It happens, because I said here's a clue, it happens, and I said it's, it's the first of the three. See, it happens at your conversion. I know it's not, it's not actually true, but the moment you are born again and come to faith, at that moment in time, God declares you perfect, holy, righteous. If you weren't, He couldn't have anything to do with you. He cannot associate with anything less than His standard of perfection. He declares you holiness, holy, and the reason He can declare you to be holy is because of the cross. That's positional uh, sanctification or positional holiness. Uh, the second one is what we're going to look at today, and I'm just going to skim across it, is progressive. We'll leave that one for there. That's what we're looking at today. Progressive, by the very term, sounds like what? Yeah, it, it's something that's happening now. And the last one, the one we're not looking at, we're looking at that one, is final holiness or final sanctification. What's that one? So the first one was when God declared you were right, holy, but you're not really, but in His sight you are. The last one is final. So what happens then? And when does it happen? It's when you're in heaven and when you are not just declared righteous and holy, but Lorraine, when you are actually holy. Actually perfectly holy. That's the three stages. We're looking at the middle one, which is the, 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 the journey. What, what did I say it was? Because I can't see my notes. It's the progressive one. Thanks, Greg. Oh, Graham. It's the progressive one. We're looking at that one. Progressive, as it suggests, is something that's taking place. It's happening. It's the one, it's the only one of the three that requires you. Do you see that? The first one is outside of you. God declares you. The last one is outside of you. God makes you actual. But the middle one has a lot to do with you and me. It's progressive in that he requires a response. And verse 9 tells us, when he says these things, I've underlined it in the underlined text there. Greg, um, if, you, if you can see, please. Is put it into practice. That when you categorize something, you're putting it into that box. Ah, oh, he's talking about progressive sanctification because it involves me. Paul wants us to put something into practice. And here's what he wants to put in here's what he wants us to put into practice. He wants us to put into practice everything that we have learned, received, heard, and seen. From who? Everything that we have learned, received, Heard and seen. From who? Uh, Paul wants us to follow this example. Whose example is it? Uh, who's? Uh, in the verse. In the verse. Pardon? Thank you, Bron. And that's a strong statement. Paul, and you think it's Jesus, wouldn't you? But it's not. It obviously is. But not in this, in this context. Paul says, me. He wants you to if you want to live the Christian life and become holy, really holy, Paul says, watch me. Well, that's a big statement, isn't it? That's a big statement, isn't it? Really. You know, you know, 
you know, at, at some point people question is how can he say that? And I want to show you why here. We have to understand the tradition that Paul lived in and the era. A speaker didn't just speak the what he believed. He and his message were almost synonymous. He was his message. What he preached, he lived. And the reason this is particularly pertinent to the apostles is because it's what Jesus called them to. John 20, the, the, the 11, when we leave Judas aside, he says to them, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So the first thing about the apostles, and here's how we read the Bible, he didn't say that to you and me. And it's, it's, something, it's very important when we read in the Bible. We're handling texts that are not written that do not necessarily contain elements that are directly said to us. This wasn't said to us directly. It was said to the eleven, minus Judas, obviously. So Jesus says he's sending them. So they are his authorized speakers. And John 14, he goes, he'll give them the Holy Spirit in order so they can be his authorized teachers. He will teach you everything and remind you everything so that when you speak, you speak the very words of God. That's what Paul is saying to the apostles. You are authorized as my agents to speak my words exactly as you've heard them. So they become his heralds and his examples. The same is the thing with Paul. Paul obviously came later, but he had a personal, he had a personal sending also. Acts 9, Jesus appears to him and in, uh, in verse 5 and 6 and in verse 15 he tells Ananias what he was already, already told Paul in verse 6 okay this man is my chosen instrument personally commissioned by Jesus so the reason Paul and the apostles can present themselves as an example to follow is that Jesus himself has commissioned them to be his herald and in a tradition where the speaker and his message was synonymous, Paul, John, Peter and the rest were called not only to preach, but called to exemplify what that message looks like. And that's all Paul is doing. He's saying, look, my task as an apostle is to show you how to live the Christian life. And so he tells them, whatever you've learned, whatever you've received, whatever you've heard, whatever you've seen in me, Paul says something, it's not the only time he says something like this, when that great passage about communion in 1 Corinthians 11, just before he begins, he says these things. And, 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 and Graham, and this is, and he illustrates here why it's not Jesus, why he says me rather than Jesus, because when he says me, follow me, this is what he's actually saying. 1 Corinthians 11. Follow my example. It's on the screen. As I follow the example of Christ. And that's the point here. Paul is saying, look, Jesus isn't here right now, but he's commissioned me to be his representative. Okay? Personally. Okay? So insofar as you see me living and doing, I'm representing Jesus. I do, by the grace of God, says Paul, what Jesus demonstrates through his life. And speaker of this era, his message came by the, the oral medium and his life. Here's what one commentator says. Before the composition of the New Testament and in its acceptance as authoritative scripture, the tradition as a standard of Christian belief and behavior 
was embodied in the teaching and example of those persons whose lives the authority and ethical practice of the Lord was to be found. The apostles, before they were committed, before their words were committed to writing and later formed the corpus of the New Testament scriptures, they were learned, received, heard, and seen in the persons of the apostles. They were learned, received, heard, and seen. In antiquity, you were your message. And so here's what the Bible is telling us, that when we interact with the Bibles, it's not just the prose that are instructing us how to live. Not just the words. It's its characters. And particularly for the church, it's his New Testament apostles that we are most interested in. So here's what Paul is saying in no uncertain terms. You want to know, Philippi, how to live a Christian life? Watch me. Watch my life. Watch me closely. Watch how I conduct myself. How I am with people. What I'm like in circumstances. Watch me. Now here's the thing. In some sense, this is still reasonably comfortable listening. You know, watch Paul. He's so far removed from us. And we have so many examples in Scripture. We know that he's a very, very godly man. But here, here's where he gets very, very sensitive. Because when Paul says those words to the church of Philippi, watch me, his words reverberate throughout time. And the rest of Scripture put together demonstrates it's not just the apostles. The apostles are the primary candidates of exemplary Christian conduct. But this reverberates into secondary and tertiary examples of Christian conduct. Think about it, okay? Who are the secondary examples of Christian conduct? If it reverberates, if the apostles are the primary, okay? There's, there are secondary in Scripture, I'm going to show you, and there are tertiary, the third wave, who do you think the, the second, second wave is of people that are to be examples of Christian conduct? Have a guess. Yeah. Yeah, boy. This is one of those sermons that's really hard to write. Seriously. It's one of those you wish maybe I won't preach on this today. Okay? Because... The secondary agents who are to exhibit what Christianity looks like are the elders and pastors of churches. Here's what Paul says to them. Now, Paul Peter, okay, I'll just read you verse 3. Verse 2 begins, be shepherds of God's flock, okay? But verse 3, not lording it over them. So not commanding that they go to the church weekend, okay? <laughs> uh, but being examples. I'm going to go on myself, Okay? being examples to the flock. God calls elders and pastors to live in such a way that they too, like Paul, are examples to the flock. Boy, I said to you before, I carried the weight on my shoulder of being a man of prayer. It's what I'm called to be. And that's a difficult task. 
But hey, this is a greater one. Perhaps the most scariest of all tasks is the task to be the personal embodiment of Christianity. Who is sufficient for those things? Hey, I know my own uh, weaknesses, shortfallings, failings. You do. Hey, can I say something? Can you pray <laughs> that I may be a better example of Jesus? And my, my own prayer is that in, that in some lesser sense, that you do see something in me that speaks of Jesus. May that be the case. It's the calling. Hey, that's the secondary sense. And uh, that's, uh, that's a, a sensitive thing for any minister. But hey, this is when it, gets, it gets tougher, okay? What's the tertiary? Who's the tertiary model? Who's the tertiary example? Who's the third wave? You guys. It isn't just, not just me. You guys. You guys. Look, this is what Paul says. Colossians 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you. You're not a teacher. You're not a teacher as you teach and then you admonish. So you're now acting pastorally and listen to Jesus and here's what Yvonne read. Okay, Matthew 5. Talking to you. The, the general congregation, me too, we're all part of the same thing, deal here, okay? Us, okay? In the same way, let your light shine. Be an example. That they may see your good deeds, that they may see what Christianity looks like in you. And me. And so in this tertiary sense, then, can you see what Paul says to the church of Philippi by himself? He was effectively, backhandedly, saying... And you elders of Philippi, you're an example too. And then you, Philippian Christians, are too an example of what this looks like. In fact, Paul says about the church, to the Corinthian church, look at this. You yourselves are read by everybody. Did you realize that we as a church are the book, the book about Jesus Christ? Because you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry the result of the ministry of this church ends up in a book being written. You and I are that book. And it's a book the world will read and see Jesus. Hey, who's sufficient for these things? Let me give you a real life example. Uh, Don Carson, a theologian from... Uh, uh, Canada, lives in the U, uh, US um, gives this example in one of his sermons I've heard it several times, I listen to a lot of him and this comes up a lot so I know it pretty well when he was at uni, I think he was at uni uh, he was at uni if that was your, if that was your drink, I'm sorry Okay. he, he, he was trying to evangelise some Christians there was this one guy in campus who was a rogue evangelist uh, so he took two of his mates to see him, you know, in the hope that he would preach the gospel to them. Carson at that time was a relatively new, new inexperienced Christian, okay? I forget the guy's name now, okay? And so he brings him to, to him, to his friend, to preach the gospel. And his friend, this well-known gospel, you know, evangelist student, 
says to the first one, okay, tell me your story, who are you? He goes, well, I'm just, you know, into religions. I want to explore what religion's about, and I've explored this and I explored that. And Christianity seems like an interesting one. And so tell me, I want to know more about Christianity. And then, and then, and then and this fellow turns around and says to the guy, I haven't got time for you. Sorry. Turns to the next guy. Okay, he goes, who are you? What's your story? And he says, well, <laughs> well I'm from a Christian family. And I've seen Christianity exhibited in my household, uh, but I don't really get it, you know, and, and, and I, I just, you know, I don't know what to do with it. And this fellow turns around and says to him, you, pack your bags and move in with me, live with me, move into my dorm, you can share, you can have the bed next to me, I'll share my meals with you, we'll hang around day and night, watch me. Can you see what he's doing? Carson says he's still banging up in shock. But he's doing what Paul says. He's a, we can do Bible studies with people. It's good. But we ought to be able to say to someone seeking Jesus, who wants to know what Christianity looks like, watch me. Watch me. May there be even a spark of the wonder of Jesus in our lives as such that someone who hung out with us for a little while will be set alight for Jesus. May that be so. So look, let's come back to Paul's. So he wants them to follow, his, he wants them to see what he's, uh, what he's, how he's been living. And the reason he wants them to see this, to think about it, is because he wants them to do it, put into practice. How am I doing for time, Graham? Please put into practice. Thank you. Wow. Take your time, Montaz. What's the big rush? You know, I did something today which I, uh, I don't always do. I'll come with shorter notes. Give me more chance to waffle at the end, you see. Okay, so they've got to do something. They've got to do something. Put it into practice. Progressive holiness is demanding action. There's something we have to do. Christianity is a religion that requires doing. Doing. For a religion that's, all, that's essentially faith-based, and if you've listened to my Galatians series, okay, you've heard over and over and over again, it's only by faith. It's one of the solos of the Reformation. Sola fide. Okay, faith alone. That is the right one, isn't it? Tell me if I misquoted that, somebody. Okay? Okay? It's faith alone. And yet, let me tell you this, and this is what James is written. Do you know Luther despised initially the epistle of James? He called it the epistle of straw. Useless, pointless. Did, guess you know why he despised it? Because what is the emphasis of James? Works. Doing. Hey, hey, hey. Christianity, as much as, as, as it is essentially faith-based, nevertheless demands action. Demands action. Look, look at this is what Paul writes earlier to the Philippians about himself. Remember, he, he's, he's saying to them, watch me. Well, this is what to, they, they should have been watching. Look, not that I've attained all this, 
but I press on. That involves doing something, okay? It's a verb, okay? Uh, I'm straining towards what is ahead. I press on again. To the Corinthians, he uses these, these incredible words, okay, from the sporting arena. I beat my body and make him my slave so that after I've preached your design myself might not be disqualified. Can you see? This is what Paul is telling them. Watch me. Watch how I did it. You saw what I was like. I was an active Christian. I believed in Jesus by faith, but you know, your witnesses, I never stopped doing Jesus stuff when I was with you. And so, put into practice, Christian. What's the first form of sanctification? Declarative sanctification is going to be is given to you. You've got it. Final sanctification, you've got that one. Not just yet, but you've got it. Okay, you're going to get it. But progressive sanctification, you've got to do something. Uh, not entirely by yourself. Uh, in one in Galatians five, Paul talks about keeping in step with the Spirit, meaning. God is helping you and me, but we've got to do something. We've got to book up our ideas. We've got to act holy. You know, you've been on course. We've all been on courses, haven't we? Where we sit, a cookery course maybe, and we watch someone cook. But you never learn to cook just by watching someone cook. What do you have to do? What does the course entail? Almost always. Yeah, get your hands dirty. Seriously. You know, Pull your sleeves up and cook. Christianity is like that. We've been doing it in home group. We're so far behind in our home group in Philippians. I know you guys have all finished it. On to the next book. We're still on chapter 5. Okay? Uh, of the book. Chapter 2 of the Bible, of Philippians. And there we did a couple of weeks ago. You may remember, Yvonne. Uh, uh, continue to work out your salvation. Do you remember doing that months ago in your study? Okay? There's something for us to do it's a doing thing here's here's what ff bruce says if they put these lessons into practice if they do something then their conduct will be the outward expression of habits of mind included in verse 8 i showed verse 8 earlier but we don't need to see it, greg you can just leave it on the quote can you see the point he's making he's saying is by, by their conduct. How do you know what someone's thinking? How do you know someone's thinking holy thoughts regularly? How do you know someone has godly thoughts? Thinks of, thinks of admirable things. Thinks of uh, pure things, righteous things, justice. How do you know that about somebody? And, yeah. You can... Although we can't see each other's thoughts, you know what's going on in someone's mind by the, ultimately the way they conduct themselves. And so it is with what Paul is saying here. He goes, he goes, look, if you think these things, you will begin to do these things. And so, I've almost finished now, look. And so, here's what comes out of all this. Here's what comes out of doing. We become more holy. We progress on progressive sanctification. And we said last time, you know, don't beat yourself up, Christian, in that we don't graduate. Our sanctification, progressive, isn't a gradual thing like that. It's not even like that. 
we said before it's like that, isn't it? Ups and downs, great troughs, some peaks, some high moments, then drops, you know, somewhere in between. So there's going to be those. But hey, as long as there's an upward trend, I think that's what the Lord is looking for. That's the mark of our conversion, is that I've been saved, what, nearly 40 years? I think so. Um, I can't remember now. Uh, 30 years, okay? Yeah, 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 this happens, Graham. Okay, uh, okay, it's 30 odd years. Although, I'm, you know, my life hasn't gone like that, I hope if you measured the, on, on a scale of heights, I'm not still down there. You know, that there is some maturity. There is increased holiness. Overall, generally, I'm speaking. Although there may be moments, great dips. I tell you, hey, do you know one of the, uh, this is a telling thing, I don't know if I should be telling you this, but you know, the, 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 the biggest dip a minister of the gospel has is Sunday night. Seriously. In every form. Okay? A, a pastor can be the most ungodly person on Sunday night. At the end of everything. Okay? There can be a spiritual excuse to let your guard down. And we all have those, you know, you know, at different moments, different times. Okay? So here's the point I'm trying to make, is that, hey, pray for one another. Okay? That's one time you can pray especially for me. We all have times when we need special prayer. Okay? So however you've done, I hope you can look at your life, however you're doing, and at least feel, hey, that's progress. That's progress. But here's, here's the end result and the net result of it all. Paul goes, yes, you get holy, but it's that, that's not the end. The end is this. You get peace. And the God of peace will be with you. We enjoy this, this experience of peace that God gives to Christians. When we do something... To be more holy. Really. Our experience of God's peace. So let me say this to you. In all our busyness, in all the loss of peace that we suffer, in all the frustration, in everything not just seeming right, and everything always seems to be wrong, do some Christian things. Do some godly things. Do some holy things. Do some real Christianity and the peace of God will descend upon your life. And here's how we do it. Read Paul. Not just the prose, not just his words. Read his life. I said this incredibly humbly and feeling so unworthy to say it. Hopefully you can read your pastor to some degree. <laughs> okay? And read one another. And aspire to live a Christianity like that. Hey, we do well if we could just live a Christianity that was as good as somebody else around us. Not as bad. Don't follow the bad ones. <laughs> the good ones, okay? Yeah.
And so, hey, watch each other. Watch Paul and do Christianity. And as you progress, so the peace of God says, Paul promises it, and then the God of peace will be with you. The peace of God is found in doing holy things as exemplified by the apostles and church community. Amen. Living Word Bible Church. Teaching the Bible verse by verse.